Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to the Life Made Easy podcast. We have another exciting interview for you guys. Today, we're going to be interviewing one of our professors. Quick disclaimer, I've never had this professor, but both Scott and Ben have. They're here. You want to say hi, guys? Howdy. What's up, guys? What's up? Um, so uh, today, we're going to be asking this professor a few questions. Um, John, would you like to introduce yourself? Hi. Dr. John, and I teach Ben, and I teach Scott, and um, I teach mathematics at a uh, small liberal arts college in upstate New York. Uh, and uh, I, I originally got into this, Tim, because um, I was advising Scott uh, one time, and he told me that he had an interview channel and uh, called Life Made Easy. And I started going, I was like, God, this is one of the things that I love about teaching is meeting really interesting people, Tim. So, um, yeah, so, so he started talking about this, 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 this podcasting channel and I was just like, uh, you know, I, I gotta go in and I gotta see a couple of these things. And it was, it was great. My son is really involved inside of watching everything on YouTube. I mean, the kid doesn't watch TV. Um, all he does is watch podcasts and, um, webcasts and the YouTubes as I understand it. Yep. Um, so, um, he, <laughs> I've already made Ben crack. It's good stuff. Uh, so he's actually familiar and had actually seen it. And I said, so have you ever seen Life Made Easy? He goes, yeah, I've seen it. And I was just like, what, what a small world we live in. Uh, and so Life Made Easy. Oh, no, wait. I, there we go. Life Made Easy. Um, so it was really interesting to me because most of the stuff is really, really fast. Right. And mm -hmm. I'm not used to fast stuff, um, you know, five, 10 minutes over with. I mean, I just get a steam rolling after I've been talking for five or 10 minutes. And um, when you guys got into the podcast, the long form of all this kind of stuff, I was just like, wow, this is amazing. And I was kind of wondering what was the decision that was made that, that, that you guys decided to go from the short stuff to the longer stuff. We and just kept talking. That <laughs> Okay, so this all, like, when we became good friends, we realized that we love just, like, talking about just random subjects, um, and me and Tim started doing this with economics. Like, we'd be standing in line getting food at Piazza, and we'd just, like, go off on huge rants for, for economics, and we're like, okay, we love talking so much, and especially about Star Wars, since we're all Star Wars fans. We're like, why not start, like, a podcast show where we just talk about what we love? And it just like, it all just kind of flowed from there. And I think at the beginning we were like targeting 20 minutes, but we always missed that mark because the conversation just went too long. Yeah. And we decided like the entire conversation was interesting. So we expanded it out and just left it at now many of the, the uploads last an hour. So it's what happens when you get a bunch of interesting people together. More or less. Yeah, and for the most for the most part, people on YouTube are like kind of have short attention spans for the most part. Um, but you see, like, there's also those people who have long attention spans and will listen for an entire hour podcast. So we kind of like we started our own. I mean, we did an audio version at first, strictly just audio, um, uploaded on like uh, what was it Google Podcasts, um, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. 
And then we're like, okay, let's create a YouTube channel dedicated to this and brand it as a specific podcast channel. Like that's strictly what we're going to upload like long episodes. And like we've seen recently, like it, you can grow very quickly on if you're doing a podcast channel on YouTube, there are people yeah. who will sit there and will listen to your entire episode. Like Tim, like remember like on some episodes, we'll like ask the fans like, questions at the very end of the episode and they will still answer those down in the comments wow that's that's cool yeah yeah it's amazing the engagement we've been getting so far maybe that's what i should start doing when i'm recording my lectures is ask the questions at the end and then make people post on the chat yes interesting no i'm surprised more teachers aren't doing this now um with the current situation starting their own channels and starting um, t I don't know. Is there like any rules against that, that you're not allowed to do that kind of stuff? So no, boy, now that's an interesting question. And uh, so I'm, I don't want to get too far into this. The question becomes, if you start to do this kind of stuff from my perspective, who owns the material? Um, and if it's that small liberal arts college that um, that we've been talking about that owns the material or a an administrator inside of that uh, liberal arts college, I, I am not going to participate in that. On the other hand, if I was 100% sure of my own ownership and that I had complete control over everything that went inside of there um, without being able to be sued, I, I, would, I, I, would, I would definitely... Um, be more responsive to doing all of that. Um, we don't, so we were talking a little bit before in the pre-interview here about um, editing, right? And so we don't have the ability to edit out that kind of stuff. Um, if, if we do, the, the, the material that we would use is either A, clunky or B, expensive. So if we could start getting some of those things um, hashed out and, um, in favor of the individual, I think that you might see more of that, but we don't. Gotcha. Current crisis could revolutionize the way we do teaching in the future. Well, I got to tell you something. I hate it. Uh, <laughs> I knew this was coming. Yeah. Here's the reason why that I hate it. All right. You like faces. I like faces. I. I cannot write. Okay. So right now in a group of four, I can see all of your faces and I can see whether or not you're following what I'm doing or whether you're not following what I'm doing. Right. And it's interesting to me to watch when people drop out because I can affect, I could say, okay, so Ben, now, now you're not interested anymore. Right. And I can ask, I can pop you a question. But when I see 36 little things and, and the squares don't even show up because I've got to be sharing my screen, mm -hmm. um, it, it, it's really, really hard to read people. And I can't see whether what I'm saying is um, resonating with you or not resonating with you. And it makes it really, really difficult. So could it revolutionize the way that we do things? I think parts of it, I think parts of it it would. But as far as that, that one-to-one -one correspondence, that, 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 that ability to see and be able to react to individuals and their individual questions. I, I, 
technology could go someplace, but it's not going to replace the ability for me to actually see. I mean, I'd need, I'd need a screen the size of my front window here um, in order to be able to, 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 to even get the, the remnant of that. And that doesn't even get down to the fact that half the time I can't guarantee anonymity and facial recognition things that come inside of the, the internet as well. So you have to, you have to volunteer yourself. And I'm one of the professors who doesn't make, I, I don't make you show your face inside of, inside of my, 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 we appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> For me, you know, this is an emergency situation. And so, um, Oh, by the way, this is being recorded during the height of the COVID-19 crisis. Um, so I'm not going to make you share your faces with me because I don't know where it's going to go. And I don't know what kind of, I, I mean, you got no protection out there at this particular point. So, um, I, at the same time, I really need that. And for the five or six people who are sharing their faces with me the entire time, I'm like, oh, thank God. Thank God. Thank God that you're so brave. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. How about you guys? Have you guys been, um, has it been working for you? I mean, you guys are a little bit different because I can tell at least for two out of the three of you that you are really active, engaged students and you're really a cut above. We've got a saying inside of our business, you can't screw up the good ones. And so, I mean, I could say for Ben and for Scott that you're really good. So it's really hard to screw you up. I would, I, I think that you would have a hard time, excuse me, you wouldn't have a hard time with just about any learning environment. So what, what have you guys been getting out of this? It, it works. It works for me because I, uh, I went to a community college first and I did a couple of online classes. So I would just like literally sit at my desk and uh, like download PowerPoints and then write notes and then take quizzes and stuff online. So I'm used to this a little bit. And I know that learning, like you need, there are certain classes where you need a really good teacher in order to understand it. But there are other classes where you literally just need to sit down with a textbook, do practice problems, read the textbook, not in that order, and just crank it out really. So most of my classes, well, half of my classes are, yeah, it's pretty half and half. Like I need the textbook and that's it for half of them. And the other half, I do need a good professor. So like you and even if I have a bad professor, I also have the textbook to back it up. Like Ben, we need it. We, we sort of need the textbook for finance, right? You say we do need it? Yeah, like well, partially, I'd say. I have never used it. <laughs> okay. Well, I've used it. <laughs> um, mainly for the mainly for the practice problems in the back of the okay, chapter. Yeah. Those yeah. those I find actually useful. Yeah. Um, Tim, you, Scott and I you are can in the same finance yeah, class. Yeah. Tim, you can talk about your experience. For me, kind of like what Ben was saying, there are certain classes where a professor is really important. And I'd say that those are the classes that in general have suffered the most for me, just because it is difficult to connect online compared to in person. Um, so like right now I'm taking calculus two and absolutely no knock on my professor. I, I think he's a very good professor, really knows what he's doing. Um, 
but that's been one of the classes that's been more challenging through this just especially I think math in general is very challenging to teach online um, and then several of my other classes it's been an adjustment a lot more of the education is falling on me than I was prepared for um, and the other big thing is getting yourself to do the work especially like at school I always did so much of my work at the library that now it's having to do work in my bedroom and whatnot where at school I I didn't do it in my dorm very often so it's transitioning where I do my work when I do my work and to me that's kind of been the most difficult part yeah, motivation I, is just out yeah there. Um, especially when your desk is in your room like mine and you go to sleep in your room, you wake up and you walk to your desk and that's basically your whole day. It's like it, you lose so much motivation. Um, for me, I mean, I've taken, uh, I took, I've taken an online course. Um, and then like when it comes to learning other skills, I'm definitely involved with like watching a lot of YouTube content to learn, um, like editing skills. I've done that, uh, what is it? Fo photo editing skills, especially like how we use uh, Canva. Um, so I'm sort of used to that, but yeah, I agree with you guys when, when all you do is go to your desk and then you go downstairs to get food, um, you lose motivation very quickly, very, very quickly. Yeah. All right. Do we want to get into our first question then? <laughs> <laughs> this okay, is a quasi interview. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> John, what makes a good teacher and what doesn't? So I've been thinking about this one an awful lot, and I think it, awfully, it depends an awful lot on who you are as a learner, really, about what makes a good teacher. So I can only really describe that from my experience based on what I've had and I've thought to be good teachers. And what's a good teacher? good teacher is somebody who sets really high standards and does everything in their power to help you achieve those standards. Um, a good teacher is somebody who's going to go the extra mile to adjust themselves and their material to your individual learning styles, um, to reach down and ask the extra question. Um, one of the preconditions for all of this is that they're passionate or at least they can convey passion about the material that they're talking about. Um, and I don't care whether that's um, Greek civilizations or mathematics or the beauty, the power of mathematics, or whether it's your English class. If they don't have a passion for it and they don't find a way to fake it, it's a really, really difficult sell um, to the learners who are involved because people will feed off that. And if you're dispassionate, but so sorry, dispassionate is not the right word that I meant to use because a lot of what I deliver is dispassionate. It's both passionate and dispassionate, right? But if they're bored by the material, it's not going to come off really well and you're going to have a disengaged class. And one of the things that I like best is getting people who are also passionate about the subject to ask questions so that we can develop it more into a discussion. Um, I'm not great at that, but I, 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 like, I like employing that tactic inside of my classes um, to the best of, best of my knowledge, um, best of my ability. Um, 
that answer the question? I think yeah. so. Yeah. Um, and so let me throw that right back at you. As long as this is interview day, I'm interviewing you too. So yeah, let's go. Let's go. <laughs> what is that thing that, that's, that, that's gotten you the most most engaged? Or the, what do you think the best best teachers are? I took the last one, guys. <laughs> um, I'll start. I think, like you said, the teachers that are most engaged and passionate about what they're teaching, um, that excitement about the material is definitely contagious, where the students really pick that up and feel the energy that the professor has about the topic. Um, so I think that's most important. But then also, for me, a lot of the time, real-world applications um, makes it seem more relevant to bring that material into my life and where I can use it. Like in game theory, Tim? <laughs> yeah. All the time. Um, when, we, when we were discussing the, uh, oh, what was that midpoint problem with the kids at the lemonade stand? Yeah, Literally, lemonade stand politics. It like all- Scott, Scott told, Scott got a question in game theory. Scott explained it to Tim, and then Tim explained it to me. Scott wasn't even in the room, and Tim and I were doing Scott's game theory homework because it was so interesting. <laughs> and then I went to Scott's professor and asked him, I go, I have a question about your homework. <laughs> <laughs> and I bet you anything, Matt sat you down and answered those questions. Even yeah. though you weren't in the class. Yeah, because that's the way he rolls. Uh, uh, good professor. Yeah. Um, the other thing, uh, with real world application, something I found is, uh, like so many of the things I learned years ago that I thought would never apply eventually do apply. Like there's very little learning that truly is useless. Um, so I think just the quicker that I realize what the use is, the easier it'll be for me to bring it into my life quicker. If that makes any sense. Okay. I'd say a big part of it is like building a connection with your teacher. Um, Like being able to go up to your teacher after class, talk about specific material um, and then, and then taking the extra time to like help you on uh, problems you didn't quite understand in class. Um, And then Tim, you can relate to this. Me and Tim talk about this all the time uh, with Dr. I'm not going to say his name, but Dr. P 202. Me and Tim get excited for this professor's online lectures that he posts. <laughs> I like counting down. It's it's nuts. <laughs> Just like because the way he explains stuff is so relevant, especially in today's society with the current uh, crisis going on. But he makes everything so easy to understand and apply to the real world, um, and it just it gets you fired up before you uh, you log on to the lecture. <laughs> I think that very few people are excited about school in general. So going to a class, nobody walks into a class like, I am so excited to be here. First day, let's go. Like, no, we're like, I don't want to be here. I want to go have some fun. <laughs> and like, so the first day especially is critical. And the professor plays a massive role in that. Because if we show up and like, we don't want to be here and the professor doesn't, they don't even have to also not want to be there. If they don't 
show that they want to be there and have good, have a good time or whatever and like be interested or interesting, we lose interest and we don't want to be there even more than we, even less than we already didn't. So beyond the first day, energy, I guess, like I had one professor, Tim also had him last semester, so old and just so quiet. Like Tim sat in the front row, couldn't even hear him. Professor, It was this. so bad. How non-memorable was this class? <laughs> Accounting professor. Oh. Oh, I think yeah. I know you're talking about. Yeah. Just nobody liked that class. He just sat at the desk and just like elbowed on the desk and just whispered so quietly and so uninterestingly. You probably couldn't even hear that because I don't have a microphone. And then whenever he used the board, he would turn around, like completely face away from us, right on the board, turn back, and then point like that, like behind him. Like it was, <laughs> like it was awful. I hate that class. <laughs> so so like, that's what it, not to do. <laughs> so it's like it's the energy. Like it, it really is the energy that the the professor puts out. Um, yeah. And for example, Doctor O. I'm like for all of our classes, um, the first day you come in like fully energized, like ready to go. It gets the, it gets the students hyped up. Um, and then, and then you do the, um, and then you do the note card. Correct. <laughs> yeah. Every class. Because well, like, note card's fun. That is yeah. Good people love, people love trivia questions. They want to like, we're going to do in the lightning round. People want to know like, what is your favorite band? What is your favorite show movie? Like, that's all, that stuff is all fun. Scott, that's going in the uh, lightning round. Okay. <laughs> no, it, it start it starts to get your mind working, get in the zone, and then and then once you have that good introduction, I mean, everyone agree with agrees with this. Like first pre impressions are literally everything. Yeah. If that teacher makes a bad first impression, you could be done for the rest of the year, and you may lose interest in that class. It is my greatest fear. It, 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 honest to God, is that I lose somebody on the first day. Uh, I, I hate that. Well, okay, so that's a little bit, because we have this little thing called ad drop in college for you kids who aren't in college yet, right? So um, if I come off badly inside of the first day when we're going around and we're talking about those little note cards, the little information that you put on the note cards, and I wind up, you know, riffing something that's not cool, um, hmm. I'll lose them after the first day and I've never had more than a couple of people. And I'm kind of glad because usually students will send me an email message saying, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm dropping your class, but I, I just, there was another one at the same time that opened up that is in my major and I've really got to go take that or whatever. But um, yeah, so I don't know. I didn't realize that that was as effective as it was. So I'll, I'll keep it in <laughs> besides which I like it because I just get to know you guys on an individual level. Mm -hmm. um, at least a piece, you know. Mm -hmm. Tim, you've never experienced it yet. Yeah. Tim's going to be there in spring next year. That's what, my guess. What class are you taking, Tim? What? <laughs> are you going to no. take a? Are you? Is he going to take a class with Doctor O? Oh. No. No, Tim's not going to take probability. He's not going to take mathematical statistics. 
he's taking game theory without having any background. Of course, he's gonna take my. He's gonna take the exactly. class. Tim, you're never gonna have anyone. John <laughs> might take that. <laughs> um, Big Cube is 100. <laughs> oh yeah, already took it. <laughs> Done with that. Yep. In the past now. Never took it. <laughs> I shouldn't have taken it. I forgot to transfer in my AP credits from high school. <laughs> that has got to be one of the biggest. I was just like, what are you doing here? What are you <laughs> doing here? Like, literally, literally like fourth day of class, uh, John wrote something on the board. And I was like, well, I'm very bored. Hence, bored. Anyway, and so I go, what the heck? Why not? I'm like, you know what E to the I pi is? He's like, I know what E to the I pi is, but I learned that in junior year of high, of, uh, junior year of college. I was like, college? I learned that junior year of high school. And ever since then, ever since that day, he was like, what are you doing here? <laughs> it's so funny. So, yeah. question. So, John, what would you say the most important things are for a student to keep in mind if they want to be successful? It's a deep one. Yeah, so I have to, so I would have two questions or two answers to that. One if I was over in the creative arts um, and one if I'm over inside of the school of science. So, so with, with math, right? what you have to do is be prepared to be frustrated. You have to practice a lot. You have to practice a lot. Um, you have to practice a lot smartly. And when you get frustrated, so frustrated that you're just spinning your wheels, you need to go someplace else and take a break from it and then come back to it a little bit later on. Um, you have to read. You have to read. If you don't read in math, um, you're not getting the background that you need in order to be able to come in to the class and be able to uh, assimilate that, what the professor is actually saying. Right? Mm -hmm. So reading, uh, preparation, practice, those are pretty much the three keys. The other thing is, okay, so you're right down inside of the calculus right now, Tim, right? So yeah. You have to keep, once you get to the upper levels, you have to keep an open mind. Um, and you have to keep a nimble, active mind. Um, you, you can't, right and wrong answers go out the window inside of the upper levels of calculus. Uh, sorry, once you get past calculus, right and wrong goes out the window. It, it, it's based on assumption. Um, what, what, what the correct answer is, is based on assumptions. And if you're missing assumptions, you have to fill in those assumptions correctly. Uh, not, and I said that wrong too, right? So it's not even filling in assumptions correctly. It's making appropriate assumptions and following your into your conclusion at the end of those appropriate assumptions. So all three of those things, um, success for students. The other thing that I basically say to my students is stop worrying about the grade. Don't worry about the grade. Look, look, look to try to master the information that's before you. Um, and that's the best possible advice I have for student learners 
at least as far as mathematics go. Um, if you're talking about creative arts, you, you gotta be, you must be brutally honest with yourself and you have to be open to criticism in a way that you've not ever been open to criticism before. Um, check your ego at the door and realize that everything that you do sucks and that it's, it can only be improved upon because you'll never make it perfect. I think what you were saying about um, reading the material, especially for math, like when people are introduced to the times tables, of course they don't uh, read on that. And then I think in high school, it's a good time to like start picking up those skills, but there's still many students who can get by without it. But definitely by the time you're into calculus, you do, I agree, like you do totally need to be reading. And I wish I had built up more skills on how to read math earlier on because I'm totally with you. Like reading is very important in the upper levels of math and it's a skill that you have to build over time. So that's one of the biggest struggles inside of education right now from my perspective is that a lot of people coming in not knowing necessarily how to read or how to read technical documents. And the other thing is that's really, I mean, so this is, I, I get this with my son, right? Everything is handed to him, right? You get the packets, you get the email message, and it's very, very central. So he doesn't necessarily have the, the pers perspicacity, the, 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 the scope that comes in trying to search and trying to find his own truth with those particular pieces because everything is just given to him in little bite-sized chunks. Um, so, so, yeah, I, I get that. I, I get that. But without context, it doesn't live inside of a larger world. Too. And I think, I think that's one of the struggles that we really have in moving from high school to higher ed. And one of the things that we can do really, really well on the first year of higher education um, is teaching people how to read. Yeah. All right. So what is the hardest and the easiest part of your job? Another loaded question. Yeah. <laughs> Glad we didn't put this in the lightning round. <laughs> so, Take an hour. <laughs> so yeah, this 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 tied into some of the questions that we had, but wasn't exactly so I don't have this one prepared. Um, okay, so the hardest part of my job is getting people who don't have who don't have interest to be interested. The easiest part of my job is riffing off those who are. Um, I think riffing, not ripping. Uh, riffing off those who are. Because if you get an interesting question, it, it can take you down a, a rabbit hole, which is interesting and beautiful. Um, and finding those interesting and beautiful moments, uh, especially with really smart minds, um, <laughs> it, it's, it's great. What are you laughing at? When you said really smart minds, I pointed at myself. <laughs> he, he's so humble. He's so humble. Oh, my God. <laughs> he is the most humble. 
Yeah. <laughs> well, for those for those of you watching this that don't know what riffing means, basically he just roasts us when we ask a really good question, <laughs> which he does to me all the time, which is why I pointed at myself. <laughs> yeah. So so jumping off of those things and jumping onto the tangents that you guys are really interesting in, going down those rabbit holes and going inside of the directions that somebody else points you in an interested but perhaps naive learner uh, goes, goes into. Uh, teachers dig it when you ask questions. Um, well, you know, when you ask interesting questions, not questions that show that you came in completely unprepared. Um, teachers dig it, uh, at least on the college level. So sort of going along with that, what is your favorite and least favorite part of the job? <laughs> My favorite, my least, my least favorite part of the job, I can tell you that right off the top of my head, is administration. Um, oh yeah, actually, mm. um, getting into the processes behind all of this stuff, it's 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 not fun. It's not fun at all. My mm. favorite part of the job is one on one inside of my office hours, and I think that's par- probably one of the things that I miss most. Um, have it d- delivering the way that we're delivering at this point. Um, the one-on-one conversation with people and um, being able to really have a conversation. Um, you could do it through a, a variety of different avenues that record. I don't want to start saying names of things. Um, <laughs> you can mock it with what we have with technology today, but it, it's just not the same. It's not the same. Um, yeah, so I miss office hours an awful lot. Um, I remember the question. I Go remember start. like whenever, well, back when we were actually at school, it's like for office hours, it's like there's a line out the door, people waiting to speak to you. <laughs> there really is. Like I showed up once five minutes after it started. There was already like seven people around the table. Like I had to stand next to the door just to be there. Half the people, it's not even a math question. <laughs> it's just like it's just a life life talk. Yeah, yeah. And those are the questions that he takes an hour on. <laughs> yeah. Well, look, the life questions are the hard ones. <laughs> the life questions are easy. The, the life questions and 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 what you're supposed to do—that's hard. So uh, they they deserve a little bit more care. Fair enough. Fair enough, yeah. Yeah, you got the next question. Okay. Oh, I think I, yeah. I asked I asked uh, Dr. O this question back in the fall, and I thought I'd, thought I'd re-ask it here just for the viewers. Um, so what's it like having the power, right, the power of impacting students' lives? It's awesome, and I mean that in the in, – in, 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 the real definition of the word awesome. Um, it is humbling and scary because it, it's, it's a power that, uh, I mean, let's talk about Star Wars for a second, shall we? Um, <laughs> let's go. We, <laughs> <laughs> we all just like shift There is no try. <laughs> um, there's a dark side to that and there's a light side to that. And empowering people that's what it's got to be all about. It can't be about controlling people. Um, so 
in a very large sense, in, in, I mean, in a very broad sense, the most general sense that we have. My job is to inspire you to ask the questions that are going to inform you throughout your lives and come out with a, um, a good outcome, right? So to the extent that I'm able to just give you that extra question, that, um, that piece that informs you, um, I'm inspired and humbled by that part of my profession. But um, I, I've also, you know, it, it, it's scary when it's not effective. Mm -hmm. It's scary um, when I'm not able to reach. Um, yeah, I don't want to go, I don't want to go too far down that path because that down that down that path lies Vader. Um, <laughs> just shouldn't save your lightsaber into the woods, Luke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, it's awesome. It's humbling. It's a lot of fun. Oh my God. It, you know, so one of the things, why did I get into teaching? Right. Well, it wasn't for the pay. I'll tell you that right now. Um, but it's for those kinds of moments when you've got those office hours and somebody comes in and the light of understanding goes on inside of their eyes that there is nothing like that. Um, I've had, so inside of my other life with creative arts, you know, doing, doing the plays and that kind of thing, there's, I've had standing ovations. Um, and you know, there's that rush that comes along with stand, with standing O's, right? Um, it has nothing, it, it, it doesn't, it pales in comparison to watching the light of understanding go on in somebody eye, somebody's eyes after you've explained something in, in a slightly different way. You know, it wasn't an easy get. It was a hard get to get them to understand it. Um, that's a rush. That is a rush. Um, and it's an awesome responsibility. It's an awesome responsibility. Um, I, I hope so. And this is, this is something that I probably didn't say to you inside of the office hour, Scott, that I thought about afterwards. <laughs> clearly, clearly, I've had three or four professors inside of my life who have been um, awesome examples inside of that way. And I, I only hope that I could live up to the example that they gave me. And I try to do that every single day. And boy, would I like to mention all of their names right now. Uh, <laughs> I mm -hmm. um, do you feel Do you feel humbled when I'm not going to name names here, but uh, when uh, students come to visit the school and are looking at the program, right? And then um, what are the Who are the people that help out with the tours and whatnot? What are those people called? Pathfinders. Pathfinders or whatever, people helping out, and they they always recommend go talk to Doctor O. If you want, if you want information on this, go talk to him. And then he has like this giant list of like students or prospective students he has to talk to. So that is a part of my job that jazzes me. And if I, so I love that part of my job, and at the same time, it can be punishing. Um, depending on the number of hours that I have to spend on it, you know, the list of the people that have it. Um, yeah. So 
so yeah, no, that's a really good word. Humbling. It's, it's, I can't, it's like, I can't get to it all. Um, I wish that there were some way that I could, that I could make more efficient that time. Um, yeah, that's the best I got for you right now. I would like to point out, I put the hat on because my hair is really long because I haven't been able to get a cut and it's been bothering me the whole episode so far. <laughs> I, I, I lost my buzz clippers um, or either that or they're, the ones that I have aren't sharp. And so I, that's part of the reason why I'm wearing a cap right now. Yeah. <laughs> when are they going to open up the hairdressers? Really when quarantine's over. Probably like May 15th, right? Next quarantine, hairdressers are essential. <laughs> <laughs> they should be. Yeah. Oh, oh, you're going down a dangerous path right now. <laughs> yeah, we're not monetized anyway. <laughs> About to get into economics. Yeah. All right. So where did your love of mathematics come from? So my love of mathematics came from the purity of finding right answers. Um, what I really liked about math, at least inside of its initial stages back, I mean, it took me a lot of practice, right? Um, it was having the knowledge that there was a right answer at the end of it, right? So you'd come through this struggle, it'd be really, really frustrating. At the end of it, you were like, ah, this is it, right? It wasn't until I got to the upper stages past the calculus ten that I was just like, wait a minute, that is a completely misunderstanding of what mathematics is. So my more informed, um, so as I got further and further and deeper into it, um, there were two things that really attracted me about it. And that was one that there's a beauty in being able to recognize and describe patterns. And two, once you get into the more theoretical range of it, it's entirely a creative process. It's creative with, with rules and with the structure that you have to create those axioms and those definitions and those theorems that you have based on what it is. No, you th thumbs down on that, huh, Ben? Okay. I hate foundations with a passion. <laughs> so I, I understand I understand there, there's, there's so much frustration in, and if the definitions don't come through or those definitions don't resonate with what your prior experience has been, it makes it very, very difficult to, to, to find that, 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 that hook, that, that rock that you can set your grapnel in. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, but once you do, there is real power and abstraction because when you when you get into the abstraction of the mathematics, what you get is a, a, a realm of application. And so finding those things, uh, so finding that creative process that leads into a, a variety of different worlds, um, that's, it's kind of cool. It's kind of cool. Yeah. So I can already tell that I lost half your audience and I'll just shut up with that one. <laughs> Tim, I think yeah, you want to ask us the next first question. question. This is a great question. Yeah, right. this is for Tim. So I've seen mostly on YouTube, I haven't really seen like a professor make this claim, but algebra <laughs> is complete because of imaginary numbers. 
any problem that you're presented with has the correct number of solutions if you allow for all complex numbers. So in that same way, is there a way of looking at calculus as complete? Does my question even make sense? Yes. <laughs> yes, it does make sense. Uh, okay. And so, oh boy, how deep you want to go? Um, I was so ready for you to be like, no. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the short answer to the question, no. Okay, so if you're talking about calculus from the perspective of Calc 1, Calc 2, Calc 3, as most people will view them inside of a college campus, campus, the answer is yes, right? Those are complete. Those are very well-defined courses. Everybody knows what's inside of them, uh, give or take 10, 15, 20%. So I'll throw the question back to you. Is calculus complete? Probably not until you can tell me what every digit of pi is. So what you will find out is that as you get into, um, so there's a philosopher, his name is uh, Gödel. Um, it is sounds like Gödel, what, what, a, what a woman wears, but it's G-O-E-D-E-L. And he's got a theory of inconsistency and incompleteness. And it evidence itself inside of this, this course that Ben's taken right now called Foundations of Mathematics, um, the Axiom of Choice. Um, the, uh, sorry, it's an abstraction of the axiom of choice and physicists see this as, can you describe a particle, uh, its movement and know exactly where it is at exactly the same time. You get into these fundamental things about completeness and consistency. You can't be complete and consistent at the same time. Um, you, you, you can, so since you can't be complete and consistent at the same time, the answer is no. Okay. Nonetheless, you can get as complete and consistent at just about any, any level of accuracy that you want so that it appears that way. Mm -hmm. But, and, and, and this is kind of the beauty about where we are right now, right? It, 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 you're always going to be able to find somebody who asked that one question that pokes a hole inside of your theory and goes, mm -hmm. right? So the short answer is yes, and the short answer is no at the same time. That sounds like a calculus answer. How do you like that? <laughs> oh my do you God. like apples? And do you like apples? <laughs> you like them apples. apples? He says that joke at least once a month in class. I know. <laughs> All the time. <laughs> but my favorite thing inside of class is when somebody says, you know, I, I was just watching. Um, did you ever see that movie with Ben Affleck and, and Johnny Damon? Or, or, or not Johnny Damon. Matt Damon. And I was just like, where the hell do you think I got it from? Of course. <laughs> it's such a good movie. <laughs> good Will Hunting. I don't think so, I've ever seen it. So it's a great movie, but it pisses me off from a mathematical perspective because math is not that easy. Yeah. For no one is it that easy. Same thing you guys were talking about that, that economics before. Beautiful mind about the Nash equilibrium. Oh yes, it's not that, it's not that easy. I mean, they 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 did this thing for twenty minutes where it appeared that you know the math was. Oh my God, look at this guy. This guy is a genius. Even for the geniuses, it's not that easy. Um, so yeah, 
I, I both love those movies and hate them at the same time. Mm-hmm. The fun the fun thing about Nash Equilibria, even though it's a solution to the problem in, in that you can't, no player regrets their decision um, or no player could be better off if they were to choose the other decision. Um, it's still not always the best outcome. So that's a really interesting question. How do you define best? It's well, it, optimal. It, in terms of game, in terms of game theory economics, usually it's some sort of payoff. They create payoff matrices, um, and it's it can be money, it can be utility, which is just overall like pleasure or happiness. Um, but payoffs can range. It it's infinite what a payoff could be. And as long as you have all of those payoffs, is it, it, can you ever really complete the problem? Can you ever complete the question? The answer is no. Game theory tries to take such complex uh, situations in the world and kind of like shrink it down, find an Nash equilibrium to try to explain said topic, but it doesn't always work. It doesn't <laughs> always work. I have to take this class eventually. You have to take it, Tim. It's so good. <laughs> <laughs> We're talking, <laughs> we're talking about like um, strategies with evolutionary game theory about like which um, or types or like different characteristics of certain species, which types live on, what's the best strategy um, for evolution. It's awesome stuff. Is mm-hmm. this an econ class, a math class? Yes, it's huh. economics. Okay. It's math econ, right? Yeah. You kind of like you kind of like have to take a step back. And you're like, wait, how is this economics? <laughs> economics has nothing to do with money. Exactly. It has everything to do with value. Yeah. Um, he got so put out just now. He was like, it has nothing to do with money. And then John was like, yeah, this is what it is. He's like, yeah. I know. <laughs> <laughs> um guys we can just we can go into a i mean like we're discussing the pandemic but like we could just go into like current state of affairs right now uh the impact it's having on everything businesses um tim you want to you want to intro this a little your thoughts sure (laughs) economics man uh basically businesses were forced to shut down and now uh, the government's trying to respond to that by supporting them, especially because this was a government-induced shutdown. It's not the business's fault. Unique from most economic crises, it wasn't poor business decisions that put them in this situation. It was John shaking his head. I I agree that like uh, stock buybacks are a good example of why they were in such precarious situations. Um, that being said, the specific situation happening now is the fault of the virus, an outside force, and for that reason, the government is looking to prop up businesses. Now, the question I'm supposed to be leading into? <laughs> I don't think there is one. I just wanted to hear yeah, your thoughts just, on that. <laughs> but, um, oh yeah, Tim, here's a question. How, and anyone else can chime in if they have an answer, how do you think this is going to affect the future? I mean, we talked, we talked about long-run growth in our recent mm-hmm. economics lecture, um, and with policy change that the government's going to have to institute, is this going to be for the better, 
or is it going to be for the worse? Are we going to receive a UBI, universal basic income? Or, uh, Tim, are we going to do the thing with platinum coins? Um, Wait, before right. you answer, disclaimer, we are college students. We are not pros at this. <laughs> this is, like, mostly guesswork. Yeah, that's and really important. So I'm an undergrad. PhDs <laughs> will even tell you they have no idea what they're talking about. Well, not that they have no idea what they're talking about, but it's all guessing at this point. Um, my opinion is if we do nothing, economic growth is going to be in a very bad spot. Inequality is going to shoot really high. Um, the debt burdens of individuals and firms are going to explode. I, I think if we do nothing, growth is going to suffer heavily. However, when I look at the different bills being proposed in Congress, almost all of them have some form of UBI, even if it's temporary. And for that reason, I see more than likely we will have temporary UBI in this country. So I think that that will level inequality, which will help us speed up our growth because lower income people tend to spend a higher percentage of their income. I think that stimulus will be massive, helping firms to grow, helping consumers to spend more. Um, and I also, I think that the government is committed to saving as many businesses and jobs as it possibly can during this crisis. I think we're going to put off uh, our fears of debt for a while. And that has me a bit concerned because debt does have a tendency to slow growth as you have to pay more and more interest on that debt. That being said, I think, again, only my opinion, um, I think the inflationary costs are going to be uh, relatively low. Yeah. Um, because I think we're already facing severe deflation. And I think that interest rates are going to remain very low. So the the interest payments on our debt won't be very high for at least the first half of the decade. That's a little intro to the things in my mind. I just need to look something up real quick. Um, <laughs> my most recent current events analysis uh, did a bit of a comparison to the Greek, fi uh, not financial, the Greek debt crisis and the later, uh, to the later aughts, I think we're supposed to call them, 2000s. Uh, and one of the big issues there is the euro is printed by the European Central Bank and the Greeks, I feel like I'm losing our audience. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, the difference in the US, uh, our currency is printed by our country. And I think for that reason, the Fed is going to be incentivized to keep interest rates low on our debt for longer until more of our debt is paid off than what occurred in Europe where Germany and France and the UK had recovered quite substantially. Um, so they were putting a lot of pressure on uh, the European Central Bank to raise interest rates now that the crisis uh, in 2008 had passed, but that was at the expense of more um, less developed countries such as Greece that were that still had heavy debt burdens that now had higher interest payments to be made. Tim, you lost me. <laughs> I'm no. So let me just jump in here and, and Tim, I'll ask you this question then. So what happens with unemployment? Short term. Uh, 
Short term, I think it's very reasonable to expect that the next unemployment report is going to say 20% unemployment. That's terrifying. That's Great Depression really levels. Um, I'm very worried about the people who haven't gotten their stimulus checks yet. Um, I'm somewhat optimistic that many of those on those who are unemployed and only optimistic, I hope it's true that they'll be able to get their jobs back because their employers have laid them off because they realize that the unemployment benefits would be better than if they kept them in the short run. So long as the stimulus is strong enough, I think that we could see unemployment fall rapidly, but in the short run, I'm very concerned about um, those 20% of workers who have lost their jobs and are now um, looking to collect unemployment. So, lightning round. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, no, I, I want to hear a little Dr. Osa, what his thoughts are about this. Oof. So, again, I, I'm not an economist by background, right? I'm just, I'm a simple mathematician. Um, but I, I think that Tim's got his, uh, his, his eye on the ball with all of this. Um, what, the only other thing that I can say is the following, right? So inside of economic and financial literature, at least since 2002, 2003, whatever you want to call it, there's been this thing called the black swan event, right? And so people have been talking about black swans like, um, oh boy, like 9-11, right? So you guys were probably too young for this, but um, you, you, you might not have been alive in 9-11, right? When, when, when the uh, World Trade Towers came down. And we were very young. Yeah, we barely one. So, 2008, there was this this uh, the the stock market crash, right? Um, when people were doing really really buying things really really irresponsibly, um, and then finding out they had no value and saying, "Wait a minute, I don't. You got to give me some money for this. I thought it had value. It didn't have it didn't have any value, right?" So, um, and then the government came in and they propped a lot of people up. Right? So. This one is different from all of the other ones in that it really was an exogenous factor that came in. I mean, the, the, this disease, no, the, the, this disease certainly seems like it has uh, very few boundaries, right? Um, this is the once in a 100 year event, right? So the last time that anybody really faced anything like this was like 1918, right? Um, was that the Spanish flu? So, yeah, 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 the Spanish flu, right? Um, and it was really, really serious. <laughs> um, I, I, I forget exactly what the statistics were, but it, it might have even been more serious than this, but at least per capita, right? How are we going to come out of this? In America, the same way that we always did. We're going to suck it up. We're going to do what we need to do. And going to take the pain that we need to take and, and we're going to come out of this stronger. Um, but that it's going to, it's not going to be without pain. The Spanish flu infected, I just looked it up, 500 million people uh, were infected with the virus. Wow. 500 million people. And that was, that was when there were far fewer people. <laughs> inside yeah. The world. Um, yeah. And, 
I, I should Google before I say anything. <laughs> <laughs> but what, luckily, one thing with the relationship, well, the Phillips curve, I looked this up, um, the relationship between the unemployment gap and then uh, the inflation. Um, luckily, the beta value, I mean, me and Tim learned about this recently. He learned about this last year. Um, luckily, the beta value, which is like the slope um, showing the relationship between the two, is has been lowering over time. So even with uh, the effect of unemployment, luckily inflation won't be impacted too much, which is like somewhat of a positive, but um, we tend to be more dovish in these situations, right, Tim? Should we talk about the coins? No. Coins are we speaking of? Platinum coins? Yeah. So tell me what platinum coins are all about. So this is really fascinating, and I have very mixed feelings about it. Um, the boost to American community, no, the boost to accelerating community, the ABC Act proposed by Representative Tlaib um, suggests that we issue debit cards to every American. So these debit cards would be preloaded, I'll rephrase that, not every American, every person living in America. And... They would be, they would have a starting balance of two thousand, and then get an additional one thousand each month for a year. And the interesting thing about the way she wants to fund this um, is, she wants the mint to mint two one trillion dollar platinum coins, which would be immediately sold to the Fed, and then the Fed would hold those coins essentially forever to keep the balance sheet of the Fed balanced. And then the, the $2 trillion sent to the Treasury would be used to fund this program. What's interesting is that's a way of creating money that has always existed in the U.S., but hasn't been utilized since the creation of the Fed because the Treasury is a part of the executive branch and has the right to create coinage, but not Bills, bills are Federal Reserve notes, and that's the way that most money comes into the economy. The reason that uh, Representative Tlaib wants to do it this way is it would keep the debt burden of the United States from increasing because the United States government would be creating this money as opposed to the Federal Reserve, which is independent. Um, the, the cost would be this would all be funded through inflation and all be funded through savings it would be the people who have high amounts in savings that would be paying for this as opposed to future generations and their taxes so it's interesting it's very different i'm definitely not at the level to analyze that thoroughly but it's fascinating that we're considering this unique path that we haven't done before it's definitely original (laughs) Definitely original. So, is it? Isn't it original? So, so Tim said something very, very interesting to me because he preconditioned it and he supposed it in the right way, right? This hasn't been done since the creation of the Fed in, what year was it? 1914. I'm Googling. Start of World War One. Um, I think same year, but unrelated events. Oh, okay. 
So, and, and, and you said that, you know, rapid inflation and rapid unemployment and, and all, do, do you think that that might set the stage for something else? A second Great Depression in 15 years? Second Great Depression and a second world war. Third? Excuse third. me, third yeah, world third war. World war. <laughs> <laughs> the next world war. Um, it was established 1913. So, you... You're suggesting? I think he's leading up to there's a correlation between the last time this happened and a world war happening. So, but I, I don't think that causation and correlation are the same thing. You are absolutely. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> I taught somebody something. <laughs> well, I didn't get that from your class. Oh. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I, I don't know. We can just throw this back and forth and all around and up and down. And the fact of the matter is we're just talking out our butts because even people with PhDs inside of this, this, uh, this subject, they don't know the answer to the question. They don't know. And the long-range effects, we don't know. It's kind of scary. We'll come through, though. So talking about World War II reminded me of a time travel joke. <laughs> I don't know why it's popped into my head. But like, it's like a guy from the late 1900s or sometime in the present goes back in time to between World War One and World War Two, and he's talking to somebody, and he tells him that he's a time traveler, he's from the future, and the guy's like, "Why not? I'm gonna believe it." So he's like, "All right, well, when are you going back?" And time travel was like, "Probably before World War Two." The guy was like, "World War what?" <laughs> and then he left. <laughs> Okay, so we get into this uh, exciting lightning round. Lightning round. You guys need you guys need some theme music for the lightning round. Oh, we should oh, add it to me. How do we get music on here? I don't know. I don't. Even... I think there's no, a way to layer it over, Scott, with one of your really experience with one of your really expensive uh, computer pro editing programs. Oh yeah. <laughs> so sound person, put in the the sound music here. <laughs> All right. I, I will say, though, Zoom, as good as it is, it has a lot of flaws. And I've experienced those flaws a lot when recording. One specific example is we recorded an entire, what was it, hour-long podcast. Um, and then the file got corrupted afterwards, and we had to reshoot the entire thing. Ooh. That, yeah. that, one, that one hurts. That one hurts. <laughs> But hey, I wasn't able to make it to the first recording, but I was able to make it to the second recording. Yes. <laughs> so, so it was a better episode. It was a win-win. <laughs> um, who okay. wants to take Who wants to take the first one? Should we go in alphabetical order? Ben Scott. Him. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Oh. John. <laughs> <laughs> John, who is your favorite student? <laughs> You're not going to get an answer for this. <laughs> um, my favorite student uh, graduated from my class uh, 27 years ago. <laughs> oh my god. I was expecting a hero, but alright. <laughs> uh, no, uh, no, my favorite student? I, I don't have favorite students. Uh, there, there are aspects about all of you. It's like, it's like saying who's your favorite child, right? Mm -hmm. 
So now I go and privately tell each of my children that they're my favorite and not to tell the other ones. So Ben, you're my favorite, and Scott, you're my favorite. Just so you know. Honestly, I was expecting to be like, Tim's my favorite. What? Tim's my favorite future student. I'll take it. <laughs> Wait, actually, I thought of this. Weren't you thinking of teaching Calc 3 next semester, John? Um, I will be teaching Calc 3 inside of my uh, statistics course uh, next semester, my mathematical statistics course. So, uh, no, if they gave me a shot to teach Calc 3, I'd be all over that. I would okay. love it. Wait, so you're adding that to 470? Say that again? You're adding that to 470, some Calc 3? Yeah, I'm going to uh, I'm gonna need to. Um, so, Fantastic. It's the, way that things, it's the way that things worked out this semester. Um, so, so some basic Calc 3, um, double integration and transformation, that's what it comes to. Oh, God, your audience really doesn't care about yeah, that. Yeah, no, not at all. <laughs> That stuff is All so right, useful, Scott. though, especially with probability. Mm -hmm. Word. Uh, Scott. My turn? Mm -hmm. Okay. What is your favorite class to teach? Without a doubt, probability for statistics. Um, the way that we teach it at the college that I teach at, it combines discrete and continuous and it motivates people into really, really awesome questions and a lot of really hard work. Um, and it's especially useful right now. Mm -hmm. All right, we've got a really important one. What is your favorite cereal? Oh, Captain <laughs> Crunch. Uh, that's child in me speaking. Uh, and now it would be Fruity Pebbles. Oh my god, they're so, they're so good! <laughs> okay, do you know, and if yes, you have to tell us what it is, do you know what SCUBA stands for? Self-Contained Underwater Breathing Apparatus? Wow, okay! Right. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> Uh, my I turn. didn't know that, so I do know that's true. My turn? Yep. Mm -hmm. uh, okay, so on a scale from 1 to 10, how good are you at wiffle ball? <laughs> Batting or pitching? Yes. All around. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I'm going to give myself uh, a 6 on the batting and an 8 on the pitching. Oh! Wow. Wow. Great. I will whiffle you. <laughs> what is your favorite TV show? Oh, that is so tough. Um, Isn't there a right or wrong answer? There are right and wrong answers for this one. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, The Office. The Office is great. But lightning round, The Office. Okay. And what is your favorite movie? Godfather. Oh, I've never seen it, but I heard it's one of the best movies. Oh my god. Just stop right now. Turn <laughs> turn the recording off. Go get it off of the Amazon Prime, Scott. Godfather. I am here because the second best movie of all time. So here's the thing. I am a huge movie lover, right? I have seen so many movies, so many classics, but there's just there seems to be those like few specific movies that everyone talks about that I just haven't seen. And, and that's an example of one. 
I didn't see Forrest Gump until 2016. It's amazing. You sh- if you haven't seen it, go watch Forrest Gump. It's so good. Life's like a box of chocolates. You never know yeah. what to do. <laughs> Skip American too- History class. Just watch Forrest Gump. My wife said, Jenny. Jenny. Okay. Are rats cute? No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, under no circumstances. <laughs> Unless you're talking about Mickey Rat, a Disney guy. What is your favorite subject to teach? Oh, wait, no, didn't we already at? That was favorite class. Oh, oh yeah, subject. I'm sorry. Different. Oh, um. You know, I almost said mathematics. Uh, but that's so broad. Uh, my favorite subject to teach? No, it's going to go with the class, probability. Do you, have, do you have a specific section of probability that you like the most? Multivariate, discrete? you like one specific distribution over another? Not discrete. <laughs> wow. Um, yeah, no, I, I like discrete. It's just that it takes so long. It, it takes so long to do. There's there's no real efficiencies with it. So, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's continuous multivariate. It's my favorite. Okay. And discrete, it's so easy to make mistakes. Yes. Yeah, because you go into autopilot, right? And yeah. yeah. That's, that's when all the mistakes happen. All right. So, is it wrong for a vegetarian to eat animal crackers? Yes. <laughs> Whoa! Wow! Wow! Yeah. Can you back up that claim? Yeah. Why? Listen, you're talking about oppression of animals. Um, and if you look at animal crackers, they all come in that little zoo box, and you're actually supporting zoos, which is uh, forced animal captivity. And um, Francis would not be very pleased with that. St. Francis of Assisi would not be pleased with that. Yes, it is wrong. It's moral wrong, and they should be put to death. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> it got dark. <laughs> it's a joke. His journey towards the dark side is almost complete. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not doing that. Just don't be like Kylo Ren. (laughs) Yeah. Baby, Um, Kylo Ren. We're we're not we're not fans of Kylo Ren here. Oh my god, Adam Driver's awesome. I have no issue with the actor. I'm just saying the character. And Tim, you can agree with me on this. Yes. Oh, 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 I see. I see. Okay. You, you don't like the, the, the forced, contrived circumstance that he was put into with his life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. Although I have to hand it to uh, Adam Driver because Kylo Ren was very difficult to play. And Kylo Ren was like the only character that was actually a character throughout yes. the entire sequel series. I agree with you on that. I was by far the most interested in Kylo Ren of any of the characters. Yes. Is I mean, right- I, I was really interested in Poe in episode nine because they actually, like, made him a character for a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so moving on. It's the writers. It's the writers. 
Um, okay, so what is your favorite band? It's a band that you've never heard of. It's called King's X. It was a, a big band out of the 1990s during the uh, alternative um, alternative rock era, and they were easily the best of all of them, but they suffered from a lack of marketing. Um, King's X, look it up. They're still going. I'll make a note. Okay. Um, okay, guys. I know like this is the end of the lightning round, but I have a very important question for him that we can all relate to and it's regarding gambling okay <laughs> so <laughs> do you what advice can you give up and coming gamblers don't <laughs> i just thought about this i needed to my parents will love this answer okay so there are two things um one is put your money in your pocket that's my over if you cannot keep your money in your pocket. Make sure that you invest an amount that you can afford to lose. Um, third thing is know your probability. If you're going to play blackjack, no basic, no basic strategy, completely and totally, um, because it's really, really important to give yourself that advantage. Um, you can make it a 50-50 game um, if you're allowed to alter your bet. So what is, what is your favorite, oh, no, I think you've said this, but what is your favorite uh, gambling game? Blackjack. Um, yeah. As far as gambling games goes, it's blackjack. As far as, as, far as other types of games, Texas No Limit Hold'em. Um, so I don't know, is that considered a table game? Probably not, but um, that's more of a game of strategy than a game of yeah. chance, from my perspective. I mean, there's chance involved, but... Um, no, it's a, it's, that's a fun game. And the thing that I like about Texas No Limit Hold'em is um, your buy-in is the amount that you're able to afford. And, and, and you're kind of guaranteed inside of the realm of that game that you're not going to spend more than you can afford. So um, that's a fun one. It's also fun to talk trash during it. Oh, yeah. yeah. I so would own Ben. I would own him. <laughs> Oh, if we ever played, I would own him. He would. I'm very inexperienced. I don't know how to play. <laughs> so, Tim, do you want to tell Dr. O what we do for fun? No. Uh, uh, in our dorm? Um, should we? <laughs> I don't think we should. Maybe I leave. Think we should. No, no, no. Leave out the monetary part. Just. <laughs> <laughs> you're allowed to play cards in the dorm. I don't know if, if you're play cards. for money, but. We host some poker tournaments occasionally. Oh, is that right? Oh, oh, since, that's too bad. And since I, we're living together next funny. semester, the three of us are living together, it's going to be great. We're opening up a casino. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what sorts of games do you play in your games of, uh, I mean, I, I know that you're betting hot cocoa and, um, you play with Fritos or whatever, whatever, whatever shit you play with there. Um, so, what sorts of games do you play when you're when you're betting your? It's mostly Texas Hold'em. Yeah, yeah. We're all trying to get better. So when we, um, well, Tim, Tim's twenty-one. 
Um, I'm still 20, so I can't go to a casino and Ben's uh, still 20. So we're preparing ourselves. <laughs> yep. Oh, as soon as you graduate, one during this, so I still haven't been. Oh, we're oh. still in college. As soon as we graduate, Vegas. <laughs> Vegas, baby. <laughs> <laughs> and I will say, twenty-one. <laughs> it's a great movie. I will say, taking a probability course is very helpful when you're gambling. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> they should they should put more gambling questions on exam P. I I I greatly I mean you have the whole the whole reason why probability exists, Scott, is because gamblers wanted to know what the odds were, whether or not a good it was a good game or whether it was a bad game to play. And uh, that's not lost. Yeah. Now I was gonna ask you what you do with a low pair when when you when you're dealt a low pair in Texas no limit. Because I have a definite strategy with a low pair. It depends. Oh, you stay in. You stay in. I'd say see a flop. If you don't hit anything, fold. Yeah. Yeah, I usually, especially with how small groups we usually play with, um, it's pretty safe to assume that your hand's not the worst if you have a low pair. You probably even have a pretty good hand considering we're playing with, like, five people. So... I usually go in, see the flop, and then hope for the best. Also, it depends on who folded before me. Like, if it gets to me and it's just, like, Tim and I, all in. I am making him put all his money on the table. This is why we love it when Ben plays. <laughs> just take the when I say money, I mean, like, tortilla <laughs> chips and things like that. Come on. Use the pot. <laughs> yeah. Use the pot. So what would I'll you bet do? you. I'll bet you one box of apple juice. Uh, so it depends. If I'm if I'm first to act, all in. I'll let them think all about in. it. <laughs> <laughs> let them think about it. Uh, I'll get my money in the pot right there, and then if somebody's got a higher pair, then I'm screwed. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it usually scares everybody out. Blind. Yeah. yeah. No. Ben Ben's got the right strategy on it. Ben's got the right strategy on it. If it's if it's heads up, all in go because you're gonna get beat on the flop tim that's the thing yeah right? as soon as you start seeing cards if there's more than two or three people inside of there you're beat you're done unless yeah. you get that triple and then you can slow roll it mm. and that's funny because then you can really cause some bleed Ooh. <laughs> that's my favorite strategy is to slow play people <laughs> I, did, I did that to tim once he was so nervous so nervous I get nervous when I play. Yeah. They have online gambling anymore, or is it is it is it completely dead? I don't know. They still there's, have. There's some websites. A lot I feel of like the rest of this conversation, like Bitcoin, though, which yeah, no. I want to mess with. Yeah. I feel like the rest of this conversation is for a post-recording conversation. Could <laughs> be. <laughs> um. Right. So yeah, guys, I think I think that's going to be uh end of the interview. I think this went uh fantastic. Uh thank you Dr. O for coming on. We got some very useful insight here. Uh any any final thoughts you want to give to the viewers? Um keep working hard and keep doing everything that you can do. Uh 
to, to overcome and keep your spirits up. Talk to your friends. Love life. Okay. I want to personally thank Dr. O for coming on. It was uh, nice to finally meet you after all these years. I've known about you loosely through the college, I think since freshman year. Um, Scott, you had Dr. O freshman year, right? No, I didn't. I had him for the first time uh, second semester, sophomore year. I don't know. I guess just through the departments, I've known about you since freshman year. So it's a pleasure to finally meet you. It, it, is, it is a pleasure to finally meet you as well. Like I said uh, in the pre-interview here, I, I've been watching you and Scott develop here, and I, I've watched uh, the, the podcasts we've had up until this point. I was just like, you know, the very worst that can happen is we have a good conversation out of all this. Uh, and uh, that certainly lived up to my, to my expectations. Absolutely. Thank you. All right, guys. We'll see you later. Peace out, guys. Peace out. Adios.